Hello and welcome to Cryptids Decrypted. This is a uh, our second to last episode of the season, and things are things are about to get wild. But uh, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna tell you why, because you know what? This is the intro. This is where I plug the same things every time. So hey, friends, my name is Ashton McCauley. I host this podcast. I'm also a writer. I write books about a monster hunter. I've got an entire uh, series out there. There's only one book left, and I'll tell you that it's coming soon. I just finished uh, the first draft of it, and, you know, it'll be coming out. But in the meantime, look, if you want to buy my books, if you search Ashton McCauley uh, anywhere you buy books, that's Amazon, Barnes & Noble, wherever, like, you will find them. And uh, I will just say that every copy helps, and if you have read them, every review helps as well. Because as an indie author, it is really hard to get indexed on Amazon and stuff like that. So every time somebody reviews it, it just means that somebody else might pick it up. And I really appreciate it. If free stuff is more your vibe, you can head over to my website, macashton.com. And if you go to macashton.com slash library, there is a lot of free short story content and all that. And if you have read it and you like it, just share it around and tell other people about it. Because again, like it's the hardest part of all this is just getting your name out there because it's hard to get people to pick up a book. You know, it's an investment. That's all. That's a lot of time it takes to read a book. I get it. But either way, I appreciate your support. And you know, hey, I also appreciate your support listening to the podcast. So I'm going to cut this off and I'm just going to say, let's get right into the episode. I'll talk to you at the end. Well, John, we're nearing the close of the fourth season. And uh, I honestly can't believe it. Uh, we've hit 40 episodes. We've had something close to 30,000 listens. Uh, and uh, it's kind of insane. So before we get started, I wanted to ask you, what's been your favorite episode to record so far? This season or while we've done this? Let's go Let's go with both. So while we've done this, Mkele Bembe. Like, hands down, no question, love Mkele Bembe. Yeah, it's a good one. And then this season, I really enjoyed the spinoff Krampus episode because yeah. it's one of those things that showed me that the movie is well worth watching and it's it it's dumb, but also fun. And then, you know, it's just fun to dig in and figure out where the ties came from and where the roots came from. What about you, Ashton? What was your favorite episode this season? I'm going to flip it on you. Yeah, this season... Gosh, I really liked the dual Madramonte La Llorona episode. Uh, that was a really good one. And then all time, if I'm counting interviews, I have to say Peter Byrne. Amityville Horror was one of my favorites just because it had like a wacky, like I, I think I like when legal people get involved. Or I really like stories about people trying to make a buck and like just, just going nuts to do it. And I got to learn about the people from The Conjuring and that they're, they're horrible. So... <laughs> I kind of like it when it ties into real life like that. Yeah. But anyways, Amityville, I thought was just hilarious because I, I know nothing about it. I really like myths where we go in blind. Uh, like it's something we've heard of tangentially. And then, uh, and, th and then we just find out it has such a deeper history, which it's kind of a good segue because that's that's what happened to me today. Today, we're not doing... Uh, well, it, it, is, it is sort of like a cryptid rail, but we're doing two this season. So today we're going to be doing an Urban Legends Royale. And uh, how are these different from cryptids, you ask? Well, according to the moderators of our cryptozoology, they are very different and they get certain handsome podcast hosts banned from posting. God damn it, Ashton. I believe that was Slenderman, that I was banned 
from posting because I put our episode about Slenderman on our slash cryptozoology. Mods got really uppity with me. They listen. I can't believe they like you're uppity, but banned you though. Like yeah, that's I got the it back. Thing. I I appealed it. I was like, hey, your rules are uh, really unclear, and also cryptids are very open to interpretation. But yeah. But in reality, a cryptid is some form of creature that is believed to exist, but has never been proven. Urban legends don't necessarily revolve around creatures. Sometimes they do, but most of the time, they involve spirits, people, or places. And, uh, I don't know, we've definitely blurred the line between cryptid and urban legend, especially in this season. I don't know, I thought it was time to give urban legends their due. So this is Legends Royale. Which, uh, you know, don't sue us, Apex. It's different. One last one last change for this season. Two Royales. That's that's a lot. But I also wanted to introduce a scoring method. And maybe we'll never use it again. Maybe we will. I don't know. Maybe it won't be fun at all. But we're going to try it. Uh, so, John, for each myth, or whatever it ends up being, we're going to give it a score of one to four. For cool factor, believability, and spinoff episode potential. Because, you know, stuff like Tessie. High spinoff episode potential, until you actually start reading about it. But, in theory, high spinoff potential. Uh, and at the end of the episode, we can discuss if any of these are viable Season 5 candidates. Okay, sounds good. Oh, and before before we start, I would be remiss. I, I had forgotten about another favorite episode that I wanted to mention. Leprechauns. Yeah, that was a fun off Leprechauns was a wild as shit episode that I didn't want to do uh, when we were first talking about it that turned out amazing. That's another Off one rails, where it's like winning blind and like found out that there's still a dude in Ireland who like runs a leprechaun museum and stuff. Good time. I like anything where there's a there's still a reward out for its capture. <laughs> hey, shout out to the dude who said during season two that our show had gone off the rails because if not for that guy. We would have we would have stayed tame. I don't know what season three would have looked like. You know, I, I don't know what season four would look like, too. We've kind of stayed off the rails either way. We got like one one set of wheels back on the tracks but like not both also clearly we can't handle we we clearly cannot handle bad reviews because we just change our entire show based on them <laughs> yeah give us one kind of it's kind of our thing now one tiny piece of criticism and we're just going to totally redirect and pivot all right well enough enough talking about the uh, apple podcast reviews uh looking at you i eat poop <laughs> god damn it I'm going to start off with a legend that, so I've had this bookmarked for, I think, about a year and a half, two years, but I've never really read into it. This is called The Gurdon Light. The Gurdon Light. The Gurdon Light. It's also known as the Arkansas Ghost Light. So to kick it off, I want to talk a little bit about the history of Will of Wisps or Will O' the Wisps. These are small, ball-like apparitions that glow with ghostly light. They were often seen by travelers at night and apparently were especially common around bogs, swamps, and marshlands, just like Shrek. These lights were said to distract travelers by leading them deeper into untamed areas, uh, and they they would mimic lantern light. So you'd think it was another traveler, and you'd be like, oh, thank God, I could get out of here. You'd go to the lantern light, and it would just keep moving away, uh, and you'd be further lost. And a fun fact I learned is that these lights are also where the name Jack-O-Lantern came from, as that was another thing they were called, which I had no idea. And there are versions of these lights uh, literally all over the world. They're in all different cultures. They call them different things. They mean different things. But in the context that we're going to be talking about, they are believed to be spirits of the deceased. I feel like Willow... I've heard the term Will-O-Wisp quite a few times and i've never really like connected it yeah there's like ori and the will of the wisps that game well will o wisps i mean you see those kind of enemies pop up in like 
Final Fantasy, other types of video games, it's a common concept or theme in some fantasy books that tie into magic and spirit more than, you know, other elements of fantasy. So it's it's not surprising, but to hear it come back to Arkansas and this cryptid is interesting for sure. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, I, I don't know. So somebody, I think it was, I might, I might be wrong, and he listens, so he'll let me know if I'm wrong. I want to say Nick Dorsey might have told me about this. He's an author. I think he's the one that told me about the Arkansas Ghost Lights, but I can't be certain. So the Garden Light specifically is believed to be a spirit that hangs out over a set of old railroad tracks in Garden, Arkansas. You know, go figure. They're not very creative with naming on some of these. If the legend is to be believed, the light is actually the spectral lantern of a railroad worker who was killed when he fell into the path of an oncoming train. The legend, or Wikipedia says, that his head was separated from his body and never found. Uh, the light bobbing up and down on the railroad tracks is his lantern as he is searching for his lost head. Which, at this point, I think I would like to interject and say if you get decapitated by a train i think there's probably a good chance that they're not going to find your head like trains trains big head small this also feels like a scooby-doo villain yeah it totally does with this uh actually you know honestly both of the ones i'm going to talk about kind of feel like they would be good scooby-doo episodes but either either one way, of mine does yeah yeah so I'm like, not at all, like, this whole idea of like, oh, they never found his head. I was like, that is probably pulped into a million pieces because it got hit by a fucking train. Like. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, Disintegrate. You look at the wheels. Is there blood? There's his head. But that's just one variation of this story. The second one is a little bit more macabre. If you can get more macabre than like, I don't know, getting decapitated by a train. So in this uh, other story. The light is still a lantern, but this time it's carried by foreman Will McLean. Uh, McLean was said to have been killed in a confrontation with one Lewis McBride. You said his name was Will McLean? Is that right? Uh, yep, Will McLean. So, and he had a confrontation with somebody. Would he be, happen to be related to one John McLean, who had a confrontation with one Hans Gruber? Yeah. Like, it feels like this is life imitating art a little bit even <laughs> if the art came many years later it yeah, really this myth is actually probably because of die hard if i had to get i think it. so man yeah. just just throwing it out there it's, <laughs> it's eerily similar so mclean was said to have been killed in a confrontation not with hans gruber but with one lewis mcbride now what they're fighting about is the subject of some debates in one version of the story mcbride was asking for more hours but this was during the great depression so, because because this was during the Great Depression, uh, McLean could not give McBride any more hours. And in another more sinister version, McBride was accused of causing an accident in which the Sunshine Special, the Sunshine Special, hard to say, uh, a passenger train was derailed, causing several deaths. Either way, confrontation got ugly. McBride took a railroad spike ball, which is uh, if you picture a thin hammer they used to put spikes in the railroad, uh, and then he beat McLean to death with it. McBride later confessed to the crime, uh, and that's documented, just not the circumstances that led up to the confession. Uh, after that, McBride was sentenced to death by electrocution, died in 1932. The ghost light first comes on the scene in the early 1930s. So the timing checks out, that's how ghosts work, gotta be dead to be a ghost. Alright, so... If it's the ghost of a murdered foreman or an unfortunate worker getting decapitated, either way, people claim that you can still see the light floating over the tracks. So how would you be able to see it? First, you're going to need to go to Gurdon, Arkansas. I know, shocker. It's about 75 miles south of Little Rock, Arkansas. Uh, you ask around for how to get to the ghost light bluffs. Uh, and this is from 
it's not wiki oh it's from trip savvy so they say ask around to the locals how to get to the ghost light bluffs apparently people are going to know what you're talking about and it's that they will help you this light because this light can't be seen from the highway you have to take a two mile hike to the place where you're able to view it and i am already suspicious of its veracity if you can only see it from one place the spot that you'll be able to view the light is marked by an incline uh, in the tr- railroad tracks, and then a long hill. Uh, the light itself has been described as many colors, but this particular guide says you're looking for blue or orange. Uh, oddly enough, two very common colors for headlights. And speaking of headlights, that is a common theory. There is a highway that is in the distance from this view spot, and people think it is the headlights uh, through the trees that you're seeing. However, there's one problem. There was no highway in the 1930s when the sightings began. Uh, and there's also some scientists that say that the refraction of the headlights would make the light appear for longer than it does. But, John, there is one way fucking cooler theory. Uh, and it involves electricity and crystals, and it's real. I'm here for it. I'm here for yeah, it. Yeah, in the ground at Gurdon, there's a shit ton of quartz, as well as a fault line. The theory is that through the piezoelectric effect, the quartz is squeezed together, and as a result, a puff of sparks shoots out of the ground into the air. Looks like a ghost light. Um, And piezoelectric effects are well documented, and they are actually the first wide application was sonar in World War I. And I don't fully understand the science behind it. I think I understand it a little better than quantum mechanics when I had to explain that. But I guess the idea is that certain materials, if you introduce them to mechanical stress, can shift their uh, positive and negative charge centers, and that creates a burst of electricity. Either way, physics is dope. I love the idea that the ground is full of crystals, and the fault line pushes them together, and that creates a ghost light. Physics is dope. You heard it here first. Physics is dope. Uh, Quantum mechanics is lit. Yeah, that's that's all I gotta say about that. But, either way, this has been an incredibly popular myth. Like, it's still a popular Halloween attraction. I guess a lot of people go out there. NBC's Unsolved Mysteries did an episode about it back in 94. So it's all coming together. And just a note, they did a recreation of the man getting murdered with the spike ball. So I guess that that was fun. (laughs) And it also has a PBS special and a metric fuck ton of YouTube content. So as far as their myths go, like, I don't know. Seems like we're road tripping to Arkansas, John. Because there's like a very concrete area that you have to go for this one. And people do claim to see it. And even if it is just crystals rubbing up against one another, I'm into it. To piggyback on that, I will say that the next big eclipse is in Arkansas, so... Oh, um, really? At least the pathway is. Yeah, because I... Long story short, I was looking at, like, reasons to go to each of the 50 states at some point in time, and that was one of the big ones that jumped out, where it was like, hey, the next big eclipse, it's gonna go through Arkansas, and it's... I think it's coming up. So, there's definitely that point. Now, I guess my question for you is, Ashton, how has the town of Girder, or the outlying area of Little Rock, merchandised this? Because we kind of all know that with cryptids, it's all about the mighty dollar, and um, these types of places chase the dollar when it comes to an attraction. So, I'm really curious on how how they've they've leveraged that and um, really pushed that. I guess people come and look at the ghost lights, but yeah, I think I think that that's mostly it because it's like a small town. So I didn't see anything that's like this is heavily merchandised. I mean, like you can find T-shirts and shit for it, but surprisingly, this one doesn't seem to have like a root in the almighty dollar like some of the other ones uh, so i think it was just like something spooky happened uh mixed with possibly a natural phenomena and people people went wild interesting yeah so at this point or might go ahead and rate that myth on cool factor believability and spinoff and we can uh 
We can reveal our scores at the end. Oh, you want you want me to rate? Yeah, I want I want us both to rate each myth. I've got my ratings in, and I think that's I mean that's all I have to say about the Garden Light, which I think should tell you about its spinoff potential. Uh, <laughs> John, what have you got for your first legend or myth? Yeah, so so you talk about spinoff potential, and I think I think I'm gonna have a couple little scores here because there's not not too much behind uh, the two that I'm bringing to the table. But the first one is the Kushaka of the Alaskan Triangle. Um, the Alaska Triangle is really interesting because apparently a shit ton of people go missing in Alaska every year. Um, and a lot of that happens in this area of wilderness where it's the western coast, uh, that butts up against the Pacific Ocean, um, and is really close to Canada as well. Um, and it's, it's an urban myth of Alaska, uh, uh about land otter men. So these are shape-shifting creatures. Sorry, found sorry, in the just folklore. land otter men? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's strapping. Fucking um, sick. These are shape-shifting creatures found in the folklore of the, and I apologize if I butcher this, but the Tlingit peoples. And it goes back 10,000 years. Um, this is a legend that has been passed down with, with the locals. Um, it's been, uh, told and there's there's reasons that it's been told it feels more like a cautionary tale than anything else um Tlingit is a region in the western coast of Canada and Alaska um these are creatures that prey on fishermen or mainly children that are lost in the wilderness and are freezing um obviously it's very cold in Alaska I don't think that surprises too many people um, and otters do well with the cold. They swim around in, in freezing water all the time. They um, are insulated, all of those types of things. So these are limited shape-shifting. They can shape-shift into humans and different species of otters, but that's it, which I find kind of fascinating that you can shape-shift, but you can only shape-shift into two things. Like, that's Animorphs-type shit. Yep. Um, but their goal, ultimately, is to trap their vict- victim's souls and prevent them from reincarnating. They do that by turning their victims into kushtaka. So they actually grow their number by converting uh, the people that they trap into another one of them. And depending on the way you look at it, um, they're either cruel creatures or they're benevolent creatures. Because from the cruel side, um, and these are conflicting accounts, they take delight in tricking sailors to their deaths or tricking children to their deaths. And they do that by taking the form of women and children and claiming they need help and drawing drawing sailors or children further into the wilderness when they're already lost. It, it ties back into what you had said about uh, the Gerber Ghost Light, how it sucks people off the main trail and pulls them into the wilderness and gets them lost and then they die. Sounds a lot like um, mermaids. Yeah, absolutely. They they claim they intend to rescue you, but actually lead you deeper into the wilderness to eat you or convert you. And again, if they convert you, that prevents your soul from being reincarnated. But hey, Kushtaka gotta eat too. So, you know, they don't convert everybody they find. They, they eat some of them. So the nice tales, which are still really shitty, are that if you're like a freezing child, they save you by distracting you from the cold. Uh, they turn into again, women and children to take your mind off things as they convert you into Kushaka. So you are then one of the otter people 
Um, and you can survive in the cold. So basically it's like, hey, you would have died, but now you're one of us, but you can never be human again. So, which kind of sucks. They mainly prey on small children and emit high-pitched three-part whistles in the pattern of low, high, low. And that is one of those things where it it leads you to believe that this was more of a, a tale that mothers would tell their kids to try and keep them away from the ocean when the ocean's that cold. You're, you're going to be paralyzed if you fall in and your body's not going to react and you're probably going to be drowning, especially if you're a child. So that's where it comes back to it being not an old wives tale, but an old mother's tale. Um, again, very similar to mermaids from what I recall, where it's like, avoid the water. Have you ever heard of uh, Rusalka? No, but I love the name. Yeah, Rusalka is just, it's it's a water spirit that, uh, there's actually a December song about it, about a uh, woman who lures young men into their deaths uh by get by getting all sexy in the water it's like hey kind of like mermaids yeah kind of like mermaids and then just drowns them what i think is interesting is this one isn't really a water spirit because it doesn't drown its victims it pulls them into the wilderness and then like the stories have been avoid these types of things if you hear them but if they get you coming towards you like you're you're done you're fucked and if they're in a pack that's even way worse Hmm. so really interesting uh, do you want to know how you ward them off? Yeah, yeah, I do. So copper, urine, fire, but then the last one is a good one. They're terrified of dogs. Huh, all right. So keep a dog with you. And again, I think it comes back to like, hey, if you're a small child, stay with your dog. Your dog's not going to let you go into the ocean. Like a well-trained dog, especially in an area like Alaska, where dogs are not just pets, they're tools, they're part of the family. They contribute just like um, other family members do. So it's, it's one of those types of things where it's like, stay with the dog. The dog's going to keep you safe. I wish my dogs listened to the podcast. Your dogs just jump out of windows. Yeah, they, they like, wouldn't. I don't know what to My say. dogs would be no help. I mean, maybe they would in Alaska, though, because they the other local dogs would be like, hey. He is, hey, he is 5% Siberian Husky. Is that is that why he was able to survive jumping out a two-story window? Uh, You know, maybe. I think it's mostly just that he's shaped like a meat bullet. And, you know, that's a really good impact shape for him. <laughs> Yeah, okay. Yeah. I could see it. He's a weird looking dude. But coming back to the Kushtaka, there's there's not a ton here. It's one of those things where like it's it's an urban myth and it's an uh, old mom's tale passed down. Um, it's it's had actually a couple books written about it. And it's it's been in a couple of those like History Channel series where they've had a single episode on the Kushtaka. So unfortunately, not a ton here. But I think cool factor. Otters are really cute. So, you know. You had me at Land Otter Men. <laughs> yeah, you you were taking a drink of your coffee and you, you yeah. had a double take. It was, it was very close was to your spit great. tank. I uh, was not expecting it. Oh, that's interesting. I You know, we, we haven't talked a lot about Alaska. I feel like you came up with Wendigos, but that's about it. I feel like there's some there's some good cryptid mining that happen in Alaska. I mean, it's a huge region. Um, it's, it's a different type of environment than we typically talk to when it comes to the cold the only one that we really talk to about cold is probably the Ning- the ningen yeah i forgot about is, that that's from yeah, royale that, season one yeah the cryptid that is a japanese cryptid around um the arctic yeah i um, mean we'll have to do legends royale again because there's a lot of good japanese urban legends too that i wanted to cover i always forget and i get i get distracted by stuff like uh my next one which is just bonkers like I know that you said that uh, you you kind of like came up dry on your two. I think I struck gold with the second one. The Gurdon Light is is okay. It had some interesting science facts, but this next one. Hang on, 
Did you do your ratings? Oh yeah. Your oh scores? yeah, I've got them. I did them real time. Okay. Okay. Um, that's good. Yeah. So it, it's it's also one of those things, Ashton, where I feel like the last Royale we did, I struck gold with uh, the Mothman and Tessie. Or I guess that was like two Royals ago. That was season two. Last one was Australia. Oh, that's right. Sorry, folks. It all blends together. Yeah, that um, was American Folklore, which I do think is my favorite Royale because we had the Hodag and the Jackalope as well. Yeah, those were great. P.T. Barnum is still a piece of shit. Yep. Indeed he is. All right, so, so tell me about these Hawaiian what what? Hawaiian Night Marchers. Now, this is something I had never heard of, but it's really interesting because I brought it up to somebody I know that lived in Hawaii for a while, and they were like, yeah, that was my high school mascot. What? Yeah. Yeah, so I guess it's like, it is a pretty well-known myth. Uh, Night Marchers. I feel like that's if if a, like, Washington school had the Yeti as their mascot. Maybe. I think this has, like, more of a cultural root, though, than the Yeti does. Or the Sasquatch. Actually, yeah, Sasquatch would totally be a mascot. In I mean, our damn hockey team is called the Kraken. So that's true. Yeah, that's very true. Amazing name. Uh, terrible at hockey, apparently. Uh, so far, but not- and yet the ticket prices are astronomically expensive. That's very true. Either way, so night marchers. They're a myth. Uh, comes from the island of Oahu in Hawaii. And Hawaii is another region that we just like have not touched at all. So this is this is exciting to me. In their most basic form. They're a congregation of spirits that decide to go out and walk the land to the beat of battle drums. Uh, the report of what these spirits look like, and actually, honestly, the battle drums and everything about them varies between storytellers. But it seems pretty common that they're described as like warriors in full armor, uh, toting archaic weaponry. Which, this myth actually, I'm really surprised I haven't read it, because you remember Downpour, right, John? There's oh, yeah. there's the whole bit about the the ghosts in armor marching to their resting place. I think I mm-hmm. took that from South American folklore, so I guess there's probably some uh, crossover between the two. But this is very similar to that. So some say that these are, uh, they, they also see like rulers or other high-ranking individuals being guided by these spirits to places of importance. But in general, there are some very specific places and times that you're going to find night marchers. Uh, on nights honoring the Hawaiian gods, uh, I'm going to mess up the pronunciation on these. I'm sorry. Uh, Kane, give it Kane, your best shot. I think it's Kane, Kai, Lono, and Kanaloa. Uh, and on the nights for these gods, the night marchers will emerge from their burial sites or even rise straight out of the ocean and walk towards like places that were of importance to these rulers. And they completely ignore most physics, so they'll walk, like, right through buildings and shit. Okay. The marches start just after sunset and last until sunrise, so, like, it's a long march. Uh, they're said to blow conch horns, uh, chants, and make all kinds of racket. Like, these these horns are supposed to warn people, like, hey, if you hear that at night, like, don't go near these people, and I'll get to why in a minute. So, it, it's like a good time spirit party, but it's not a, um... It's not a good time for humans, but here, here's how you know that the night marchers are coming so that you can get the fuck out of the way. You're going to smell a foul, musky odor like death. Makes sense. They're dead. Uh, and you're going to see torches getting brighter and brighter on the horizon. And that one to me feels like it could be a lot of things. And at first I was like, ah, don't panic anytime you see torches. But then I was like, you know what? Any large group of people with torches, I am going the other fucking way. Especially in today's day. And age, yeah, yes. you know, and if they like to dress up in scary costumes, all, all the more reason to run. Like, I'm not going towards any yeah. group that's brandishing torches after sunset. That's just, I think that's a general rule. I think that's a smart rule. Yeah, yeah. Uh, apparently night marchers can also rarely be seen during the day, which doesn't really feel on brand with the name night marcher, but it's when they are compelled to escort a relative 
or someone else. Like, they, there has to be a really good reason for them to come out during the daytime. I've also seen a, a few explanations for why these spirits hang around, and they tend to be very different. So, again, escorting people, uh, but apparently they also might just be eternally searching for their next battle. Kind of ties in to what happens if you see a night marcher, because uh, you don't want to be their next battle. So here's the general rules of engagement if you do run into them. First thing, try not to run into them. Okay, so you failed at that. Don't look them in the eyes. Uh, this is a very consistent warning that people are often told that if they look a night marcher in the eye, it's your instant doom. Yeah, it's a challenge. Yeah, well, and some say they, like, kill you brutally. I mean, like, with their ancient weapons they're carrying. Others say it's it's kind of like a basilisk. Like, you look a night marcher in the eye and you're just dead. Oh, God. Yeah. So if you manage not to look them in the eye, uh, you also got to show deference. Some people say you got to lie motionless on the ground, which means that you're showing them proper respect. Other people say you got to pee on yourself. <laughs> you got to, you got to, you got to what? You got to pee on yourself. You know, you just got to, you got to show Christ. them that you just got to pee on yourself and lower yourself to the ground. That is from, from Honolulu magazine. It's the only place That's I found that, right. but I felt like it was worth including because somebody said to pee on yourself. Uh, if I run into night marchers, I'm trying all of the above. <laughs> That cannot be right. Oh my god. Yeah. Pee on yourself. That's the solution here. I mean, Jesus that's Christ. good advice for some predators. It's also good advice for jellyfish. There is one other out, John, if you don't want to pee on yourself, but I don't think this applies to either of us. You can get lucky if you have a relative in the procession. Oh, okay. Well, that's that's good. If they see you, they will shout, again, I'm going to fuck up pronunciation, na'u, which means mine in Hawaiian. Uh, so they basically shout mine. The other night marchers will be like, ah, okay, fine. We won't kill that guy. And that will serve as protection and they won't hurt you. Whichever warrior is the leader of the march determines the style of the march. So if they're a quiet individual, it will be silent. If they enjoy partying, it's going to get turned up. And sometimes the gods themselves march with the night marchers. So it really does, you know, gets to be quite the party. So I like that. After all that, uh, you know, ignore my warnings. You want to see a night marcher. You want to know where to do it. I've got a couple of locations where they're seen frequently. Uh, this first one is great because I learned some history. Oahu's Poly Highway. It runs past the famous uh, Kamehameha battle site. So quick side note on this battle because I found it super interesting. So Kamehameha is the person credited with unifying the Hawaiian Islands through the biggest military campaign that they've ever seen. He took, or so he, he unified the big, he had unified the big island, but had never managed Oahu. So he took 12,000 men trained with muskets and other modern equipment and marched on uh, Kalani, Kalani Kupule, uh, which is the opposition leader, basically. Long story short, he marches on these people, backs them up against a cliff, where 800 of them were driven off the cliff and fell to their death. Years later, oh, shit. they make the Pali Highway, and what do they find at the base of the cliff where the highway runs? They find the skulls. So if you're trying to find night marchers, that's apparently the place to go. But I love the idea that they built this highway and then they just found like the result of this old legend. They're like, yeah, no, there's a shit ton of skulls and bones at the bottom of this hill because they were all pushed off to their death. So the highway runs right over where they were, uh, where they died. Fuck, dude. Yeah. 
Pretty crazy. And it's not as, like, far back in history. Other locations, uh, Kamehameha School Campus in uh, Kapalama. Kulo Kulo Ranch is said to house the remains of many Hawaiian chiefs who go night marching and are allegedly the cause of a lot of car accidents. La Perouse Bay. You don't want to hit night marchers. That makes sense. Yep. Uh, La'i, which was a city of refuge in ancient Hawaii, where anyone who offended the town's strict religious practices were held prisoner and probably killed. So... In that area, Laia, however it's said, the night marchers are said to be looking for escapees. Uh, brief mention of sightings, because there's there's actually quite a few of them. This seems like a security guard was camping out on the beach, saw a distant flash of light, and then a column of torches suddenly moving down the mountain. It's pretty much it for the sighting, but he claims that they had to be night marchers. I don't know, a bunch of torches moving down the hill. I'm not sure how you make that connection, but either way, he was very convinced. A cleaning woman saw a column of mist marching through the bottom floor of an office building, uh, she died the next day. People then saw that they saw her, or said that they then saw her marching with the night marchers uh, the next time they were around. And yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot, but that is that is the basics of night marchers. And like we said earlier, I think it would make a fantastic Scooby Doo episode. It feels like one that's already there, man. Like they've done a bunch of stuff in Hawaii for Scooby Doo. So that's a good point. But yeah, I. Uh, I really, I really enjoyed the Night Marchers. I was very surprised. Um, yeah, that's uh, that's all I got for that one. Okay. Um, then I'm going to go ahead and bring us home with uh, the Bandage Man of Cannon Beach, which I picked because it's, you know, somewhat local to me. Um, as I think I've made very clear, I live in the state of Oregon. I live in a suburb of Portland. So it's one of those things where Cannon Beach is, you know, an hour and 15 minutes down the highway. Yeah, I grew up going there all the time. Yeah, Cannon Beach is, it's a bit of a tourist trap. Um, really pretty place. Uh, good beer, it's, great it's coffee. Good beer. It's really close to Astoria, um, which is where the Goonie House was. Uh, Haystack Rock is where the Pirate's Treasure and all that stuff was. So, uh, Sleepy Monk Coffee Roasters. I want to give them a quick plug if you go hunting for this. That is literally the best coffee I've had on in Oregon. So there you go. Go check him out. But the bandage man uh, haunts a stretch of Highway 101, which was side road when they put in the new highway. This bandage man first came about in the 1950s and is said to be the mummy of a logger hacked up in a sawmill accident. He was hacked up and then ambulances came to take him away. And then the ambulance got caught in a landslide when a rescue vehicle finally came to the ambulance the man in bandages from the sawmill incident was mysteriously gone. Yes. Yes. And it's said, it's said that he haunts, um, haunts the town ever since then. Now, some people say he was an electrician. Some people say he was a fireman, but, uh, what always comes back is that he's covered in bandages. The myth has unfortunately kind of died out. The only people in Cannon Beach who really remember it. Our older folk who've been there for a long time, Cannon Beach is one of those weird beach towns where it's very touristy, uh, but also at the same time, is a popular place for yuppies to buy property and move in and, you know, work remotely and all that kind of stuff. So you, you have a lot of people who don't really understand uh, heritage and local legends there now. But with the Bandage Man, if you're driving down Highway 101, he likes to jump into cars. Um, so if you're in a convertible with an open top, or if you're in a pickup truck, uh, you risk him jumping in the back of your car while it's moving. And he's very, very quiet. 
that's the major thing is you know he's around if you smell rotting fish or bloodied bandages. And then he may just roll around with you until you get into town and then he will magically disappear. Um, Oregon, Canada Beach, logging country, uh, way back in the days, just after World War II. So this makes sense, uh, when it comes to this being a logger who got in an accident, all that kind of stuff. And he mostly targets teens and parked cars. So apparently the road he haunts is a, a good makeout spot. Ashton, do you remember when we were young and making out in a car was like the coolest thing you could ever do? Sounds way better than like a quarry in Vancouver. <laughs> Jesus. But uh, it, so there's one really infamous tale around Cannon Beach where it was back in the 1960s where uh, a boy and a girl were out on a Friday night and they had gone to make out and they, you know, things were getting hot and heavy. They were crossing the bases, all that kind of stuff. And then they felt the car kind of list one way and then they turned around because they were in the back of a pickup truck and saw a bloodied face press up against the glass. And then that man started pounding the glass with bloody bandages and the girl started screaming and the guy gunned his truck and started swerving and dipping and diving. And when they got into town, there was no man. So that's kind of the origin of the bandage man and where he came from and what his uh, predilections are. But you know that he's there when you, you smell that rotting stench. Unfortunately, he feeds on dogs and small animals, and occasionally the unlucky person. Cannibal logger mummy. Yeah, it's it's great. The road that he can be spotted on used to be called Bandage Man Road by the locals, and kids who just got their license, uh, it was a rite of passage to drive it at night. And yeah, they, they he would leave bloody bandages that smelled like fish around. And it's, it's really interesting because a lot of, like I had said, a lot of the older people in Cannon Beach know of the myth, and there were a few that would claim, oh yeah, I had something to do with that. Cannon Beach is pretty small, so that actually kind of makes sense that the population is is pretty limited there and would remember this kind of stuff. So, like I had said, there's not much to this. It's it's really just, there was, there was a mummy that was from a, a guy who had a logging accident, and haunts kids man that's that's unfortunately what i got no i i knew you said that that was a not a very good one but i like that one a lot it kind of makes me what like i want to the next time i go to cannon beach bring a portable recorder and just go start asking people about the bandage man the bandage man. the bandage man all right i've got my scores do you have your scores john I'm doing the bandage man right now. Give me give me one second. You can put in a uh, Final Jeopardy music. It's yeah. knockoff music, not actual Final Jeopardy music, but like yeah. I'll find, I'll find something. I think I have something from Perfect. I'm going to use that. For, for the listener, what you just heard was John's voice. I know it's unrecognizable after all the amazing editing I've done. That's our new um Final Final uh, Legends Royale music. Um <laughs> Okay, so let's start with the ghost light. Yeah, so the ghost light. For that one, I gave it a three on cool factor, and that is simply because of fucking electric rocks. I gave it an orange and half an apple on cool factor. I know you said that the range was one to four, but... Maverick. You know? You're a maverick. I I decided to go my own way. No, uh, jokes aside, I gave it a 2.75. 2.75, all right. 
Uh, believability, I gave it a two. Well, okay, so here's the reason I gave it a two instead of a one, because I was giving everything ones. I give it a two because there's an actual scientific explanation for why it might be happening. Okay, so so I don't feel bad about this at all. No, I gave it a one. Yep, yep, that's fair. Uh, spinoff, I also gave it a one. Yep, yeah. yep, I gave it a one. It's a shallow pool. So that uh, my score was a six, John, yours was a, uh, what, a 5.75? 4.75? A 4.75, yes. All right. So that's a, it gives it a grand total of 10.75. 10.75, that's not bad. That's it's, better than I skated for our first For our first score, you know, it could be the highest for all we know. Uh, <laughs> it could. All right, moving on to the Kushtaka. Yeah. So from a cool factor, I gave this a 3 out of 4, up from the 2.75 I gave to the Ghost Light, because land otter people. Yeah, I, I literally wrote that down. I have a three, and then in parentheses, it just says it's fucking land otter men. Yes. Um, believability, I put that one as a two. Oh, man, I see. I had the, it as a one. So I put that one as a two because Native American folktale. Interesting. I I like a lot of Native myths. Doesn't doesn't add any believability for me. So I, I stuck it. At, I think most things are going to be at a one for me on believability. I'm kind of a skeptic. I, I could get that. And then for a spinoff potential, I put a 0.25. <laughs> I gave it a one. Uh, so I think uh, probably similar sentiment there. So what's your final score? A 5.25. 5.25. That puts it at a 10.25, which is below the Gurdon light by just 0.5. All right, moving on to Hawaiian Night Marchers. Ashton, give me your scores. Yeah, so for Cool Factor, I gave this one a four. <laughs> like, I fucking love this myth. And for me, for me, it's an easy four because I, yeah, I'm a big fan. So I am just under that at a 3.95. Yeah, I like it. You know, you got to reserve your perfect score. Yeah. And I'm intentionally like, I know you gave a one to four. Yeah. Um, scale. You're, because you're IGNing it. It's, you know. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just blowing it up. All right, what'd you think for believability? One. You son of a bitch, use a different number. Hey, <laughs> I, I, I gave the Garden Light a two because it had some sort of explanation that I believed. No, this is a one. It's fucking ghosts. They're not real. Like Okay, well, I gave this a two. All right. Hawaiian Night Marchers, I believe in you so you can believe in yourself. John's the real, like, Paula Abdul of this, of this rating system right now. Spit off potential. What did you think? Uh, I, I gave it a three because there's a lot more there and i feel like if we went deep on some of the hawaiian culture and we talked a bit more about kamehameha i think there's a lot of interesting things to talk about there that we could easily fill an hour um because i including dragon ball z yeah i it's so funny uh when i was a kid whenever we went to hawaii i would read it as kamehameha road (laughs) and i was like why would they name a road after dragon ball z had no idea who kamehameha was yeah, spinoff, I gave it a three. Okay. Uh, so I gave it a 1.5. Wow. See, you're low on the I, spinoff I, potential. Yeah, but but also I didn't do the research like you did. Yeah. So I don't I don't know what you saw and what you didn't. That's fair. It's fair. Like that's the tough thing about this one. So what's your final score? Uh I gave it a oh fuck, now I have to do actual math. <laughs> this is what you get for having fractions. Uh, a six six point four five. Six point four five. Okay, so that puts it at burp, burp, burp tabulating 14.45 uh, i think i really anchored that one a little higher actually no you know what that was the highest that was the highest rating for both of us so yeah you gave it a one in believability 
Yeah, don't, I did. Don't, don't I, I sure did. I don't believe it at all. Don't don't tout your own horn here. Uh, you did not do any favors to the Hawaiian Night Marchers here. Uh, bandage Man. Uh, the Bandage Man. The Bandage Man. Cool factor. I gave it a 2.01. Man, I gave it a 4. I gave Bandage Man a 4. It's a cannibal lager mummy ghost. Like, it's a cannibal lager mummy ghost. What a mad lib of a myth. <laughs> like, I just, I fucking love that so much. Ugh. And it has, like, all the hallmarks of, like, the hook-handed man. Yeah. And, like, we know Cannon Beach. So, you know, I, I'm i into it. I gave it a four. Uh, okay, well, what'd you give it for believability? <laughs> you want to take a guess? <laughs> well, I was a half a point higher than you and gave it a one point. Yeah, I gave it a one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what'd you give it for spinoff? I don't believe in cannibal logger mummy ghosts. Um, spinoff, I gave it a two because I really like the idea of legitimately going to Cannon Beach and asking people about the bandage man and doing like a cryptids decrypted on the street episode. We could do that. That'd be fun. Like take a trip to Cannon Beach, uh, go to Pelican Brewing, get a, get a couple of brews, take our recorder out and just go ask people on the beach about the bandage man. I like that idea a lot, actually. I've been fantasizing about doing a few like that. I also really want to do an episode where uh, I just ask people for their cryptid encounters or their ghost stories. And it's it's just an episode of stories. I feel like that'd be really fun. Because I know some people who have some really good ghost stories and cryptid stories. Yeah, but Ashton, every time you ask people that, they're going to tell you, Sir, this is still a Wendy's. This is still a Wendy's. Please drive forward. Yeah. Look, man, I get my myths from one place and one place only, and it's the Wendy's drive-thru. Sir, you're holding up the line in a big way right now. Please continue. For my spinoff potential, I put it at a one. Okay. But now that you've brought that up and how we could spin it off, I think I bumped that up to a two. Yeah. So what's that put your final score at? Again, math. Please give me one second. You can you can you can play my uh, my soundtrack that I've gifted you with my beautiful voice. 5.51. 5.51. Okay. So that puts us at thirteen. Point one. Damn. Better than the Kushtaka, better than the Gurgerlite. Yep. So this is our final right. scores. In last place, we have the Kushtaka Triangle with a 10.25. Second to last, very close, Gurdon Light, 10.75. Followed by the Bandage Man at 13.1. And then we have the winner. John's music again. Of the Hawaiian Night Marchers at 14.45. Actually, you know what? I'll be honest. I like that rating system because now we can go back. And if we do future royales, we could be like, I don't know. Does it beat the Night Marchers? We can have a Hall of Fame. I I kind of actually think we should do just a quick spinoff episode at some point and go back to our previous royales. Because we've got three of them and give a brief recap on each cryptid and then rate them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I like it. I like it. Let's do it. That's we'll do a bonus also, episode about it. Viewers, yes, that is super cheap content, and I'm being lazy as fuck here, so I apologize. I, but I don't apologize. Yeah, it'll be a it'll be a fast episode, but you know, uh, let us know what you think of the rating system. I I had a lot of fun with it, so even if you hate it, there's a chance I'm gonna keep it anyway. Yeah, if you hate it, fuck you. <laughs> we don't change our we don't we don't change our show based on the tiniest bit of criticism. What are you talking about? Yeah. We're not a bunch of sensey boys who really get hurt by feedback. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, that's it for Legends Royale. Next up, we've got our Cryptid Royale, which is uh, 
who knows? Who who knows what we're gonna have for that? Because I have not even started researching yet, but I feel like it'll be fun. And I really enjoyed Legends Royale. You and me both have no idea what the hell we're gonna do there, but it's gonna be great. All right. Well, we'll see you all soon. Later. All right, that is all we have for Legends Royale, which uh, it's technically the first time we've done the Legends Royale, but you know it's a lot like Cryptid Royale. And as much as uh, Urban Legends will get you kicked off our cryptozoology, you know I think that they they come up being pretty similar. But either way, I had a ton of fun. I love the rating system. I definitely want to go back and use it on our old. Uh, Royale episodes. So if you like the rating system, let us know. If you have any suggestions for Cryptid Royale, Legends Royale, whatever Royale, let us know as well because we've often ended up using user suggestions in these episodes so that we can kind of test them out and see if we want to do a full episode on them later. So this is a great forum for your suggestions to come in. As usual, thank you for listening. Uh, I really appreciate it. Now, we don't have a date to record the next episode yet, so... I'm going to go ahead and guess it'll be out in three weeks. Maybe we'll get lucky and it'll be two weeks, but I'm going to guess three weeks. Anyways, thank you again for listening. We really appreciate your support and I will see you in a little bit.